my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Alex Gladstein, thanks for sitting down. It's my pleasure, yeah. I love talking to you. I, th- I, think, thanks, what you, I think what you're doing, I mean, your, your mission is the most important mission, right? At the end of the day, it's about... Uh, freedom, baby. Freedom. Freedom go up. Freedom go up. That should be the goal. Human flourishment. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, it's not possible without NGU, but I do think FGU is the goal. NGU is the way we get there. Number going up is the way to get freedom to go up. I mean, if Bitcoin was a dollar forever, I don't, I don't think we'd have the possibility to change the world. Is that because we wouldn't have as much adoption? I, I think that if you only had a limited value to Bitcoin, uh, it would not be able to, to replace the fiat system. It wouldn't be able to replace the functions of money. It wouldn't be able to replace central banking. Because uh, if, the, if the value wasn't high enough, then the, the, the small units wouldn't be enough to transact the, with. The like, core dynamic of Bitcoin that's so unique and interesting is, is the fact that it turns self-interest or greed, basically, yeah. into freedom. Yeah. And I think if you had like a fixed value that was low in purchasing power, and it didn't have potential to, to, to increase, this, this incentive wouldn't exist. Right. Like basically, if it was stuck in its early days um, forever, it would be a niche project that a bunch of us cypherpunks and freedom fighters and human rights activists would find interesting. Yeah. But the average and person criminals. would have no real, yeah. It, yeah. It, it would be kind of like PGP, right? Like PGP um, works well, has not been hacked by the government, but it's kind of a pain to use, and, and it didn't really attract a massive audience, right. uh, even though it existed for 15, 20 years. Yeah. It, it wasn't until they could actually um, package 
into you know that to kind of technology into things like signal that it became widespread. Yeah. So I think that if you don't have NGU, your capacity for FGU would would remain like de minimis. Yeah. It would be pretty minimal. I mean, it, it would still be cool and useful, but it would be more like. Monero. Yeah. I mean, it would be a system that would probably run out of steam. Yeah. The decentralization wouldn't be as strong. There wouldn't be as an incentive for enough people to, yeah. to run their own nodes. There wouldn't be as an, a big of an incentive for the miners. Like, none of it works without NGU. Yeah. But it's not, but I think the NGU is the, is, is the uh, means. The yeah. end is FGU. That's, that's my vision of it, at least. I write a weekly uh, Bitcoin uh, news, email newsletter, and um, at the top I have a quote on there, and it says that Bitcoin is the great bait and switch. Yeah, because it pulls you in for the NGU and it switches you into the F. F you know what I mean? So yeah, what's that quote saying. from Naval? It's like, a, like a like a like it's like a freedom tool dressed up as a get rich quick scheme or something. Something yeah. like that, right? And, so you know, it's, it's a after, bait and switch. We come for the NGU. And you then know, we, and after two years in a bear market, I think it's fair to question. You know, that 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 part of it diminishes during a bear market. But yeah. ultimately, I always say price is the greatest teacher. Like, yeah. we can do all the work we can about Bitcoin education. And, and yeah. a lot of great work gets done in bear markets. Like, yeah. trust me, there's amazing stuff happening. But there is no replacement for the massive amount of interest that flows into Bitcoin when there's a bull market. There yeah, just it's isn't. Yeah. And this is because of NGU. Like, there's self-interest. Yeah. The cool part is, due to Bitcoin's incentive mechanism, the self-interest translates to more freedom for everybody else. Yeah. This is usually not the case for things like it just doesn't really work like yeah. that so even capitalism like on, on a whole at a global level has been totally corrupted and doesn't really work like this yeah like more riches and property rights for and 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 resources for americans directly is the result of impoverishing poor people in another country in the current global capitalist scheme yeah um bitcoin doesn't work like that yeah it, it's much more kind of open and, and neutral, yeah. which is why I'm so excited about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking when we came down into this bear market from yeah. our 69,000 peak yeah. to whatever, you know, 15, 20,000, but e just like Facebook stock also was down 75%, but the Facebook sure. network still worked the same way, even though stock went down and the price of Bitcoin dropped from 70 to 20, but the Bitcoin network was still censorship resistant. Yeah, but like think about a country like Page, like, like, um, but for new adoption, like, it would work sure. for people in North Korea. They could still keep their money and transact it, but it, it wouldn't attract, to your point. What's the, the name of the company where people have, like, a gym in their house? A Peloton. Oh, yeah. So maybe for Facebook now, but the but long run, it, it's sort of more like Peloton. Like, if Peloton stock drops 90%, like, they're going to go under. Yeah. Like, so it presents a terminal risk to the system. Yeah, yeah. Like, like if Bitcoin, if the price of Bitcoin dropped 99.9% .9 tomorrow and never recovered, it would die. Sure. Okay, uh, so course. so we know it's not going to do that, but like, yeah, that's why it, it it can survive. Yeah, that's why it can bring freedom to more people, is because of the incentives at play. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I want to talk about what you just said. It was kind of something I'd been thinking about when I listened to your talk yesterday, which I I, I liked. Uh, but you just said that uh, kind of capitalism has been perverted in such a way that American kind of has built wealth while impoverishing other nations. Yes. And so that's certainly part of your work I want to talk about with mm -hmm. IMF and, and kind of the, the, new, mm -hmm. the new book that you're talking about with the hidden, hidden repression. Yes. The new book. So uh, your books are great. I look forward to them. So anyway, for everyone listening, ch check out that hidden repression new book. 
Um, and the way that the financial system has been set up, it's mm -hmm. set up in a way, and, and you broke it down brilliantly, and I want you to kind of break that down for us again, mm -hmm. um, how these nations are forced to only provide goods that the U.S. wants in mm -hmm. the dollars, and they can't do what's best for them. And so that's Correct. kind of a way that it impoverishes them. Yeah. But, but if we started just from a higher level, and if mm -hmm. it wasn't for corrupt money, yeah. um, because... Um, goods and services are so much cheaper in these other nations, they don't have much uh, going on there. Yeah. Um, by taking jobs, whether that be manufacturing jobs uh -huh. or, or technical jobs, um, even though we're paying them a very low wage, it's a good wage for that area, wouldn't that actually be taking prosperity there? But it's the financial system that then turns that around and actually yeah, extracts it. Yeah, so if we had a neutral monetary language for the world that was consistent, I think there would be much more equal exchange is what you call it in international economics. You have unequal exchange, you have equal exchange. I think if the monetary system wasn't corrupted, then you'd get much closer to like the ideal of how like people like John Locke thought of international trade, where like your country would build what you're good at, and then you could exchange that for other things you're not good at. Yeah, um, that is not how it works. Like the United States aggressively subsidizes things that we really shouldn't be making and crowds out the ability of other nations to do those things. Yeah. It is not a free market at yeah. all. It's completely controlled. I mean, it's like the bond market or like the stock market in Japan. The stock market in Japan can't be considered a capitalist if the government owns 50% of right. it. The bond market in the United States cannot be considered capitalist if the government bought trillions of dollars of bonds to backstop it. I mean, it can be considered a hybrid capitalist I model, love what you said, though. But it can't, it can't be, be fully capitalist. It can't be, because capitalism requires free and voluntary exchange. But the, what, that being said, we have to then, on the other hand, empathize with, I think, like people around the world when over the last 70 years they saw a battle between the communist Soviet Union and the capitalist United States, right? So even though you and I know that it, it, you know, this is not capitalism, I can't fault them for calling the system capitalism. I mean, these are just semantics, but semantics are important, sure. right? So the system that people get angry with that they call capitalism um, is, very, is a very corrupted form of capitalism in my view. But it does raise the question, like... To the point that it's not even capital. Right, but, th but of course it's the no true Scotsman thing. It's like, this is our lived experience. We don't have another... We don't have a counterfactual. We yeah. only have what we have. Yeah. Can market democracies um, thrive without exploiting other countries? We don't know the answer to that because there is no world where that happens. Right. My belief is if we can adjust the monetary system that it's possible. Because yeah. then all of a sudden... People are earning, I mean, you have this arbitrage thing where like all of a sudden if people are earning Bitcoin here and they're earning Bitcoin here, like it kind of like tightens up a lot faster. Like if you're earning Naira and then you're earning dollars and these, these markets can be divided and you can squeeze one and not the other, this allows for wage deflation. Like it's all about achieving wage deflation in some places to protect wages in other places and to, to reduce inflation in other places. And if you have... 200 currencies, it's very doable. Mm -hmm. If you have one currency, it's, I think it's much harder. Yeah. Of course, we're speculating, but I know you and I both know that individuals are escaping yeah. the system through Bitcoin, yeah. right? So if we know that individuals can escape, well, then, of course, the next question is, well, can entire systems escape? Yeah. We don't know, but yeah. it's, it's certainly worth discussing. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. 
I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's let's back it up and yeah. uh, your book, Hidden Repression. So there's this hidden mechanism, this hidden force that yes. causes this repression. Yes. And I think the way that you framed it up is it really starts with the IMF and the World Bank. Mm-hmm. And now uh, I'd, I'd like for you to kind of break down how the IMF and the World Bank does this. But before sure. we do, you know, I kind of had this chart that it's kind of like an org chart of the world. And it kind of puts the BIS at the top mm-hmm. and then like the IMF kind of World Bank below that. Yeah. Um, but now it seems like over the last couple of years, the central banks have started to kind of break out past World Bank. But we'll talk about that later. But, but frame up for us the picture of the IMF and how they use this uh, hidden repression. Look, the international monetary system is vast and complicated and has a lot of actors in it. Um, I focus on the IMF and World Bank because they are arguably the two most important financial institutions in the world. Um, certainly f- between 19... 19- 60 and the 1990s, and probably still today. Yeah, but probably still. I mean, when the United States and its allies gathered in New Hampshire in 44, when they knew they were going to win World War II, they got together to think about what's the new monetary system going to look like and how can we prevent the 1930s from happening again. They didn't want a breakdown in global trade. They didn't right. want autarky. They wanted the spice to flow. Right. They wanted everything to be flowing. Okay. Yeah. So with the new currency that the U.S. set up that the rest of the world didn't want, by the way. The rest of the world wanted a more sort of democratic system. But we had the most gold, so we got to have our say. And we said, no, it's going to be, you're all going to use dollars, and you're going to redeem them at $35 an ounce. Right. Gold. So with, within that system, there were pegged exchange rates. So you know, your currency was allowed to fluctuate within a band, right? And the IMF was set up as a lender of last resort to basically be like a stabilization fund for currencies. So if a currency started to like move out of that band, the IMF would would go over there and put that fire out. Um, and, and you know what? That wasn't like a necessarily a bad idea. I mean, we were basically still on a sound money standard um, or a version of it, right. right? Because gold was still underlying the dollar. You right. could redeem it for a certain rate, and that rate was controlled. Now, eventually, 
that proved to be pretty quickly, quickly untenable. Yeah. Like it lasted about 25 years. But, um, and really, I mean, it really It didn't, never really even worked because well, they printed so well, many dollars. Between by 58, b between 44 and 58, there were like tons of exchange controls. So it wasn't even really working. Yeah. But like between 58 and 71, you know, we basically had this like Bretton Woods system, we'll yeah. say. But, you know, after about 12, 13 years, it <laughs> went kaput. Uh, yeah. Nixon took us off. Um, but the point is, at the beginning, it was designed to be like an exchange rate stabilizer to keep trade going. Uh, again, if a country had a balance of payments crisis and it was, it was not exporting enough to sustain itself, it could borrow. Okay, and then hopefully the idea would be within a few years they could fix the problem and then pay it back. That was the idea. I'm not necessarily against that idea. World Bank was designed to like provide infrastructure funding in places where private capital just didn't have the appetite. So this was, we were talking war-torn Europe and Japan. Yeah. Again, not necessarily opposed to that. I think these things can exist in a sound money standard. You could have an international lender of last resort. You could have a global development bank. They and given the benefit of the doubt, most of these things start out with good intentions. Yeah, and, and, and like, I don't know if they were, I mean, they certainly were imperial intent. I mean, they were intentions to keep the United States and its allies on top, but, but they weren't necessarily like, in any sense, like immoral. Like yeah. they, they, they made sense. But what ends up happening is Nixon takes us off gold standard, and, and we're no longer on pegged exchange rates. So a lot of economists at the time said, well, why do we need the IMF? And what happened was the IMF essentially pivoted, as did the bank. They pivoted away from stabilizing exchange rates and providing funding for infrastructure in, in like what we now call industrial economies, rich countries, to providing credit to the, to the, to the impoverished parts of the world, right. to the developing world, to the third world, whatever you want to call it, the global south. That pivot took place from like the early 60s through the mid 70s. And, and it almost was like a total pivot. Like you, you really had such, you had a, a massive amount of IMF and World Bank activity shift into the global south, okay? So these institutions were now like doing something else. And my thesis of my book is essentially that what they ended up doing, whether it was conscious or not, was replicating the, what's called the colonial drain. So the point of colonialism was to drain resources from other places to sustain the quality of life at home. So for British, that meant like getting tea and, and petrol and oil and gold and timber and whatever at, at very, very cheap rates by going and stealing it or exploiting it somewhere else with violence, bringing it back home, okay? That, that Spanish conquest of Latin America. Like the, the it's kind of been of, the way since of the beginning of time. I mean, you know, poor, you know, the, the, strong, exploit the, the strong exploit the weak. I mean, it's, it's a history... It's a historical thing. It's always right. been that way. But like, this is how it played out. Now, colonialism in this way became untenable in the 20th century. I mean, it just became unacceptable right. for various reasons, and it basically died out by 1960. And that's known as like the end of colonialism. It's basically around 1960. So that and that would that, be military colonialism. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So now you had monetary colonialism. So so like the. the the dynamic, though, like, still wanted to exist. Like, these countries and economies still wanted to, to take advantage of these other countries. So what they ended up doing is replacing the sword with debt. Right. Okay? So you replace the warship and the bayonet and the gun with debt. And, and now what was happening is through the IMF and World Bank, uh, the rich creditor nations could extend loans to poorer nations and in that way uh, exploit and repress them. And it was just sort of, sort of like this machine for harvesting resources, natural resources. The borrower servant to the lender, so they kind of- Exactly, so like you would harvest sort of resources as much as possible without letting any trickle down to the surrounding society, A. Or B, you would do agricultural engineering. So you would like change what these countries grow um, 
to focus on certain monoculture crops that, that we want, and then that would prevent them from growing the food that they need so that they'd become dependent on us. So it was like sort of engineering dependency. So this is why Africa, for example, imports 85% of its food, which is crazy. It should be totally self-sustained. Yeah. It should be an exporter of food, like net. Um, it's, it's a net importer, vastly. Yeah. Um, and that's because partially U.S. foreign policy you know, dictated it. Like we wanted to have food sovereignty and to control food so that we could use it as a weapon. And we did this several times during the Cold War. We would basically like turn off wheat or whatever to a country and starve it like, to make it bend to our will. We did this in Bangladesh in the 70s. You can look it up. It's, it's harrowing. So basically, you know, the IMF and World Bank kind of were very lucrative for the West in three main ways. I mean, a lot of libertarians especially would criticize the IMF and World Bank back in the 90s, and they would say it was wasteful. It was a waste of taxpayer money. It was not a waste of taxpayer money. It was very effective at aiding America yeah. and its allies, and, and, and it does so in three main ways. Number one is the interest. So these are high interest rate loans that create a really large flow. And as anyone who borrows knows, eventually you have to pay back more than the principal. Right. So you had all these dictators borrowing 100 million, 500 million, a billion dollars. Those countries ended up paying back to us 500 million, a billion, a billion and a half dollars over right. the lifetime of the loan plus interest, right? So you have like earnings coming in, you have a flow coming in based off interest. Um, and, and again, these were back then pretty high interest rate loans. Yeah. Like uh, payday loans. Yeah, the predatory lending basically. Yeah. So, so that's, that's like, and the IMF and, its, and, it, and the World Bank and all of their little arms make billions of dollars a year doing this. That sort of sustains them. The second thing though is, is the resources and, and the labor. So as of 2015, um, there's one study that, that, that indicated that the industrial countries, the rich countries, we got about half of our resources and, and 30% or so, about a third of our labor from the global south. Now, let's just think about a world where that ended tomorrow. So let's say tomorrow all of a sudden we had half the resources and we, met, we, were, we, we were missing the cheapest one third of our labor, like on the spectrum of labor, mm -hmm. what would happen? We'd have mass inflation sure. because we'd have shortages of goods. We'd have way less goods and like we wouldn't have enough to go yeah. around. And our labor or the wages we'd have to pay the laborers would be way more. Yeah. So you can start to think, realize how this subsidizes our way of life. Like globalization has really in many ways been a subsidy for Western civilization. I mean, just, it's just the way it is. Number three, if interest is number one and cheap labor and resources is number two, I mean, number three is political control. I mean, again, um, we would literally shape these economies. Yeah. So it's not just that we would get cheap labor and resources, but we would, we would make them dependent on us. And that's what I was talking about the other day in terms of like, by setting up the monetary system the way it is, we would like make sure that certain things were priced only in dollars. Like obviously hydrocarbons being like the major thing. Right. So if you could only get oil in dollars, if you're a little country, and, and you know, I think the MMTers really get this wrong, they always say, it's not a big deal, you can just buy dollars. Right. Oh, you wanna try doing that? Let's say you have a weak currency. You wanna go out and try buying dollars? You're gonna sell, crush. You're gonna sell your currency to buy, yeah. No, you print your currency to buy dollars. Your currency is going to tank. Right. This doesn't work. Plus, there's often not like deep liquid pairs, like trading markets for like these random currencies. Right. Um, so it's not really an option to like buy dollars to buy oil. That's why these countries have to do exports. You have to earn the dollars. So you have to sell something to the U.S. or its allies for a hard currency. Yeah. Then use that to buy the oil. There was so, a, there was a. So you want to just basically to, to continue the point to, to close the point. Like if you want oil or industrial tractors or fertilizer or whatever, 
You can't use Ghanaian CDs. You have to export something like coffee and, and, and earn dollars in your foreign exchange account. And then from there, you can buy the oil or the CDs. So this is a completely different paradigm than with like America, where yeah. we can just print dollars to buy anything we want. So this is why there's like these vast inequalities in the monetary system. Yeah. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There was a, there was a, um, a report that China put out, the government of China, and I forget which division. Um, I used it in a video, but I don't recall off the top of my head. But they, they basically pointed to this, this exact situation and said the U.S. is uh, lots of things the U.S. do in wrong. But one of them is that they print dollars. It, uh, they said in the report, it cost the United States 17 cents to make a $100 bill. But these countries have to give up a hundred dollars yeah, worth massive of goods seniorage. to get to get well, to get. Well, the, then the other thing is, so you have the three benefits, right? So you have interest, cheap labor and resources, and political control. Like that. Like if anyone says the IMF and World Bank are a wa- are wasteful, or that it's a waste of taxpayer money, they're not. They're they're missing the big point. Right. Like yes, it's true. They're very bureaucratic, corrupt, and 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 they're not very efficient. Yeah. That is true. But then you're missing the deeper point that they are absolutely self-interested organizations. Sure. Like, like we, we, we have, it, our advancement has not been in spite of these things. It has very much been because of them. Yeah. Um, and they today remain so important. I mean, the IMF is a trillion dollar organization and the World Bank is still the largest development bank in the world. I mean, we may hear about them less in the news and there are other really important institutions like the WTO and the BIS, et cetera. Um, but but these remain so so important to the Bretton Woods economy as yeah. such. I mean, until it crumbles, I mean, they, they are pillars of the world order, right? Um, China has tried to copy them, and the CCP has seen what we did. And sort of like st- their Belt and Road. Yeah, they're like we want to, not so much the IMF. Um, they've done some of that, but most of it's sort of World Bank style infrastructure funding. Mm-hmm. They've done a ton of it, um, but it's dried up in the last year and a half or so, and. Started to backfire on a lot. Well, they don't. Too. They don't mint the reserve currency. Right. So if a country goes bankrupt, it's harder for them to just write another loan. You know, 
um, it's harder for their banking system to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like they can't just like make reserves up like we can. Yeah. So they've tried to copy it. I would expect any regional power to try and copy this thing. Sure. Like you know, so long as that these like multivary fiat currency system exists. But like, the, the point is they can't even replicate what we've done. Um, and it's had such a tremendous impact on the world. I mean, it's. Uh, it's 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 tough because when these when these countries take these loans um, that we benefit from, they, they we ask them to to do something called structural adjustment. Um, so these loans have conditions that that range from like raising taxes, shrinking the banking sector, raising interest rates, devaluing the currency, ending all subsidies on food and energy. So basically, like we would call it austerity or like putting your country into a recession, and that is done so that the exports become more competitive. That, that, we, that, that we can buy the exports for cheaper. Like if those countries, if their wages are too high and they have too much social security and free healthcare and education, then, we want, then, then the stuff they make will be too expensive for us to buy. Right. So we need to make sure that it's cheap. It stays cheap. <laughs> so that we don't want any social benefits for anybody in that country. And we want which that is, thing to be cheap as hell. You which know? is a little counterintuitive because you'd think you'd want them to do better so they can actually pay back the loan. <laughs> I think there's a lot of interesting co- sort of paradoxical stuff here because, like, yeah, in a, in a, in, a, in a classic free market, you would think that um, that like subsidies on food and energy are a bad idea, and in general, they are a bad idea. Right. But you can't go from you can. I mean, they do it all the time. It's very hard to go from a society where food and energy is subsidized to the next day it being really expensive. Right. Like if, if, that, that's what the IMF would do, and people would just starve. I right. mean. Like, it's not a natural course of development, right? Um, same thing with property. Like, like, one would think that nationalization is a really bad idea, right? But um, one thing that would happen is that, like, these countries would develop industry, and then, like, due to IMF policy, they would end up selling, like, massive dams or whatever off for like fire sale prices to foreign ownership. Right. So one thing is like thinking about the economy in a domestic sense. I just think the global, the, the world is, just, is, a, is a big system and, 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 it, and it, it, it's, it's a little more nuanced than that. Like, like there are interesting paradoxes when it comes to like free markets in as much as there isn't a free market. So everything is like stacked against us. Like we would never, <laughs> think about it this way. So Britain, Germany, France, United States, Japan, we're not doing austerity at home. Like we, 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 we never like, like it's not like we dictate to Germany that they devalue their currency and cut like social subsidies. That's only done towards poor countries. Right. So it's just total hypocrisy. Like Britain has currently a price cap on energy in Britain right now. And they've always had all kinds of free healthcare and stuff like that. But they would go to like little countries like Sri Lanka and demand that they end their subsidies for rice. So. Like, in theory, yes, all subsidies that distort free market stuff, I, I think, are wrong. But, like, what you ended up having was rich countries being highly subsidized and poor countries having nothing. Right. So this perpetrates and, and keeps this cycle going of them becoming poor and poor and needing to borrow more and more for us, from us. And keeping the cost of goods and services low. So that we can have it for cheaper. Right. Yeah, and this is why you see the external debt of poor countries go exponential from the beginning of the fiat age. And I just think... I don't, I don't think Bitcoin entirely fixes this. I just think that if you have a neutral, open monetary language for the world, then we don't have such disparities and, and wages are gonna be like a little tighter than they are now and, and you're gonna have a more equal exchange. And, and further, 
if Bitcoin is the reserve currency as, instead of the dollar, then like wealthy countries don't have the exorbitant privilege of just printing it. And the poor countries can just turn if they want to. It may not make sense for everybody, but if you have cheap electricity, you can just print Bitcoin. Right. I mean, not print it, but you can invest Create in it, it and make it without permission from the world power, right. which is key. Like currently, like, like countries that don't agree with the United States cannot get dollars, or it's hard for them to get dollars. And you would say that they could do that now. They could print Bitcoin if they had the energy. They could also grow bananas, rice, wheat. But what yeah. you're saying is that the U.S. says, no, you well, can't I grow wheat. You're well, I, I, my general, pr I'm just always changing, you know, involving my perspectives. But I think that at the moment, what makes the most sense is, like, if we do end up having a Bitcoin standard, like, like mining won't be for every country. Like, mining is, as you know, it's, like, a very expensive sure. job. It's not, a, like, a, like, a hugely profitable, necessarily, uh, industry all the time. <laughs> it can be very unprofitable sometimes. Sure. Um, and it's very specialized. And, it, and you think of it kind of like gold mining. Like, not every, con like not every country does gold mining at yeah. scale. I mean, part of that is just because there's not gold everywhere. But in general, I think what you could expect is, like, countries that have cheap energy will do Bitcoin mining. Yeah. Countries that don't, like, maybe, like, Japan or something, they will like provide services and they will like export stuff yeah. and they'll and they'll buy Bitcoin with their reserves. So I think it's just kind of, I mean, it, it may look a little more close to like kind of the gold standard where like countries had a pile of gold yeah. and like when it drew down too much, like it weakened their currency. Like I do think we'll go through a time where we have essentially fiat currencies that are that are probably backed in some way by Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, or like a Bitcoin. Yeah. dominant reserve. When the uh, IMF was founded, uh, John yeah. Maynard Keynes wanted it to not be on the dollar standard. He wanted it to be on a Bancor. Yeah, he wanted it to be... might have been sort of like that reserve. Well, the Bancor was just supposed to be like a basket of currencies, right? right? So it was supposed to have more of a globally democratic character to it. But he was vetoed. <laughs> so the U.S. Uh, right. got its way. And um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 again, I, I think that it's possible we evolve into kind of like a neo-Bretton Woods system here where there, there are like probably fiat currencies pegged to, to some sort of redeemable rate of Bitcoin. I think it's possible that eventually we, we even move beyond that, yeah. and it's possible we just use Bitcoin as money. Yeah. But, but I mean, we're not, we're just nowhere near there technically, like technolo like technologically yet. Yeah. And 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 you have to you look at like Britain. I mean, Britain started to fail as an empire a long time before the sterling failed as the world reserve currency. Sure. So it's very sticky. So I, I also think you can see a world where like. Bitcoin moons, but like people still use the dollar for stuff. Sure. Well, and the pound sterling, it was a 30 to 40 year process. And yeah. here we are 80, 90 years later, and it's still yeah. the top three currency I in mean, the world. Bitcoin could like explode in price and interest could go way up and you could have much more global adoption. But like the technology of daily payments could, could lag. I mean, you could still end up using dollars for a long time. I think eventually they, they, like it would, they go obsolete. Yeah. I mean, this is like tears law. Like, and I think people should really study dollarizing countries if they want to know what this is going to look like. It's not going to be Gresham's Law forever. It's not going to be, I mean, it's, 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 it's not going to be, even though the government's going to try and force it, like merchants are just going to, they're not going to want your fiat yeah. eventually. Yeah. And then that's going to spur circular economy. Yeah. But until that day, I mean, yeah, most people will save Bitcoin. Yeah. Because like, yeah. if they can. Yeah. Because, like, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. You would try, at least. You might ideologically want to spend some, which I think is wonderful and important. But, like, ultimately, I don't think that the needle's going to move for the majority of people on what you do with your Bitcoin until merchants start basically saying, providing a premium. Um, 
or like basically a discount for Bitcoin right. and a premium on fiat. It's kind of like if you like some people will say today they prefer cash to bank money. Right. They want the cash, yeah. right? Yeah, I think in the future they'll even offer a discount sometimes, right? Sure. If you pay me like like a like a like a um, all the time <laughs> contractor at your house if yeah. you're redoing your house, they may offer to do it for a little less if you're paying cash. So that's what I think you start to see in the future. Oh, I'll do it. If, I'll do it for a little less if you pay me in Bitcoin, right? And then eventually it just becomes like, oh, sorry, I don't I don't take fiat, I don't take dollars. Yeah. I take Bitcoin. Yeah. I just think that that process may take decades. Yeah. <laughs> like, just might be sticky. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's certainly accelerating with the rise of the authoritarian nations, and it uh, seems seemingly yeah, rapidly. Why would I want? money that's deplatformable. Right. Like, I think the only way this revolution fails is if governments stop deplatforming people and stop devaluing currency. They take away the need. <laughs> they take away the need for it. Yeah, if there's no need for Bitcoin, it'll die. Yeah. Like, why would you feed it any energy yeah. if it was useless? I'm sorry, though. I just don't believe in a world where we're going to see less deplatforming and less devaluation of currency. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more deplatforming and a lot more devaluation because that's what governments do. Yeah. Um, so I see a world where Bitcoin gets much more valuable yeah. and widely used. So, I just think it, it's just going to be, and, and as for the impact on, on these institutions, I think over time, I mean, they essentially start to go bankrupt. Like the loans they start to lend out get defaulted on and, and they are not able to refill uh, the basket as much. And, and I think they shrink. And I think they might still survive like a, a, in more of an original capacity. Like that a handful of powerful countries may choose to like retain a fund to help put out fires so that the trade keeps going, that could totally happen on a sound money standard. Yeah. And again, you might have like, again, like a fund where it's like, okay, like in, the, in our common collective self-interest, um, we may want to like help this country develop a little bit. But like those loans are gonna be much more like prudent and like, like examined carefully as opposed to like 
Yeah, and you could just keep all this money and like, don't worry about it. Like, and the goal would be to give them the loan and help, hopefully help them grow so they can grow their way out yeah, of it, it and, like and, Jeff pay, Booth and pay calls you back. It, uh, Jeff Booth calls this forced cooperation. Yeah. I really like that. I mean, both at the nation state level, like as you're describing, but also at the, at the labor level, at the individual level. Like you're just, there's more forced cooperation and less, again, unequal exchange. Yeah. So. Cooperation uh, as opposed to coercion. Yeah, or, or exploitation. Yeah. Like, like, again, like the classic example of like, you've got, got a country like Ghana. It has a lot of gold. I mean, I don't think you need to subscribe to any ideology to object to the fact that 95 plus percent of the gold profits over the last 30, 40 years have gone to people outside of Ghana. And, and that's in large part due to this fiat credit system. I mean, it's not entirely because of it, but it certainly is exacerbated by it, right? So if, I, if, I'm, if I'm tracking this, the problem is that through the financial system that we have set up, through mm -hmm. the IMF, et cetera, through these exploitive-type loans, um, it extracts the wealth and it forces people to remain in poverty. Yeah, it and, deflates uh, their wages. And deflates their wages. So it's not the fact that um, the West or whatever is going to these countries and paying low, wa low uh, wages for labor or things like that. Um, because they're providing jobs and they're bringing them out of poverty. It's the fact that they're forcing them to stay down, not not allowing yeah, them well, to grow also, out Yeah, well, they're also, like, our corporations get, like, favorable rules in these countries. Right. So, for example, like, uh, say you're a giant American Coca-Cola or something. Like, you, remember, you're, like, a dollar-native firm. So when you move into one of these countries, you are much more, uh, you have such an advantage over local soft drink makers who are priced in the local currency that's being devalued. Right. All of a sudden, the imports they need to make everything get so expensive and they go out of business. I mean, this is why people don't like multinational corporations in poor countries. Yeah. Because of the monet, it, 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 has a, it has partly to do with the monetary element of it. Like again, these are firms that are dollar native or euro native or yen native or whatever. They're not uh, peso native or lira native or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, an outgrowth of our current system, whatever you want to call it, is like the dominance of multinational firms in countries that have, in poorer countries. Yeah. And this is, this is absolutely exacerbated by the World Bank and the IMF. Right. I mean, there's this whole, I mean, the whole double loan phenomena is, is where like we, we, you know, let's say France gives $100 million to Ivory Coast. Um, the Ivorians immediately give the 100 million right back because they hire French companies to build all the stuff. So France has been paid back. The French right. economy is now whole from the loan, but the Ivorians still have to pay back principal plus interest. So France will make 150 million euros over the duration of this project, just as an example. They'll make principal plus interest plus, I mean, I mean plus to be paid back. So this is how you can start to see that like the West is like earning a lot of value from, from, from deploying right. credit to poor countries. As any, I mean, who benefits? Qui bono yeah. in, in, a, yeah. in a loan. <laughs> like, but I mean, I yes, the, the, like, yes. I, if I take out a loan and I, you know, I do it carefully and I, I pay it back, I can benefit, right? right? You can. The problem is this isn't a, this isn't a healthy, like, one-off, okay, we solved it. This is an infinite debt trap right. where the loan gets paid back by another loan and then all of a sudden it's a Ponzi. Right. Like, it's a Ponzi. Like, the, the only way the new loans can get paid back is with more loans, right? And this, this was, this became like the people who run the system became aware of this in the '70s. Right. They, they realized this. Right. There was no way these countries could pay back this debt. 
yeah. the only way to pay it back with some more debt. Yeah. And so what I'm just trying to uh, differentiate for everybody listening, and, and maybe even for myself, is it's not the problem of extending loans to people that need it and helping them come up. It's the it's the finance it's the it's the dollar seniorage that forces people to take loans and forces them to do things that are holding them back, uh, like you said, only producing goods that we want, not goods that would help you, um, and never allowing them to grow out of that. So if I said, hey, Alex, you need a loan, let me give you, give you some money, and then you're able to uh, turn your business around, make a bunch of money, pay me back, and now your life is much better, like that's a good thing. That's a free market, that's, cooper- that's cooperation. Sure, I think but, there'll but, be credit in the Bitcoin standard, But yes. because of the seniorage, that's the problem. Well, right, it's, it's like, think about it this way, like if you are lending dollars to a country and they owe you a hundred dollars and then like their currency gets devalued, right. they're gonna have a hell of a time paying back that hundred dollars. So when you think about the way IMF structural adjustment, which is the condition that the loans come with, right. is that usually it ends up devaluing the currency and raising price inflation inside the yeah. country for yeah. the majority of the people. Um, yeah, that's 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 not just like taking out a loan and paying it back. Right. There are other structural things happening here that, that really impoverish people. Um, and this should just be more widely discussed. Yeah, yeah. And are you, uh, you said, you know, you kind of talked about like the dollar taking over the pound sterling, and that's a long process. Yeah. And so yeah. we're in a long process. Here. Well, we've also never had anything like Bitcoin before though. Right. I mean, we don't know. I mean, it could be gradually and suddenly. And we've we never had, uh, we've kind of never had this full court press from authoritarians, both, no. in, de- both in devaluation, uh, the rise of censorship. I mean, to uh, give an example, look at the bank run. I mean, social media and electronic money made a bank run much faster, right? right? If you looked at SVB, sure. Well, social media and electronic money might make like the switch to a new reserve currency yeah. way faster. Yeah, it might take years or months or days instead of decades. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. Sure. Like, like we're definitely living in a world where these transitions can happen faster. And, and information travels faster. People find yeah. out about these solutions like, faster. Like when the sterling was being phased out, like there were people who didn't even learn about it for like years. Yeah. That's not gonna, I mean, if Bitcoin starts to moon, everybody's gonna find out within like a week. Yeah. Like on earth. Yeah. Like that information will travel. Yeah. And even people who don't know what Bitcoin is are gonna be like, what the hell's going on yeah. here? So um, I just think it's a, it, it could happen really, really fast, which is why it's so, so important. And I guess we'll just conclude with this, that like we work to help communities understand Bitcoin. Yeah. Like what we want to do with the Human Rights Foundation is just work on UX and education. We want to make Bitcoin easier to use, safer to use, more private to use. We also want to make sure that people understand the value of self-custodying Bitcoin. It's just all about right now. I understand that on-chain Bitcoin will get expensive in the future. That's the way it's going to be. That's how the fee market's going to work. Right. But right now, you can get on board. You yeah. can open a channel. You can get into Lightning. You can self-custody Bitcoin. Uh, I know we had that couple days there where fees got out of hand. I mean, we can expect more of that. That's yeah. a glimmer of the future. But they're back down to like a dollar. So, yeah. so a couple dollars. So let's do as much as we can now. And we won't regret it. Yeah. I mean, the only thing we'll regret in 10 years is not doing more of it. Sure, sure. <laughs> so let's educate and spread the word as much as we can. And yeah. really that's what you're seeing as like a resistance to the IMF and World Bank is you're seeing in the countries that got structurally adjusted the, the hardest. You saw them, um, you saw them flock to, to Bitcoin and, and different kinds of like basically stable coins and Bitcoin, like yeah. the highest. Like if yeah. you look at the percentage of people in those countries who use these things, it's, it's like way higher than in America. Yeah, like it's in like, Nigeria. Or, we're talking like 20% of internet users yeah. using Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in some way. Whereas in America, it's like around 10%. Yeah. So it's like, it's just, it's, it's, it's people are seeking a way out yeah. and it makes total sense. Yeah. 
and, and I think you can expect to see more of that. Yeah, so the higher the pain, the more people are going to move to well, a solution. Well, I'm just glad that there is a way out. I don't know, again, I don't think it saves entire countries. I don't, I don't think we're speculating. But what's not a matter of speculation is that it can save individuals. And that's yeah. something we're celebrating. And we will continue to focus on that. Yeah, cool. Well, we can, we can wrap it up with that. Thank I you, I appreciate Mark. it. Human Rights Foundation. Yeah. HRF. Or HRH. HRF, yeah. HRF. Yeah. Human Rights Foundation. Yeah, HR, yeah. HRF. Uh, .org. Mm-hmm. Yep. So everyone check that out. Anything else? Oh, your book. Just go check out the book, Hidden get, Repression. Get the book. We'll it's link on to Amazon. That down it's below. on the Bitcoin Mag site if you want to buy it with Bitcoin. So uh, you do what you wish. Yeah. <laughs> Would appreciate if you checked it out, left a review on Amazon. That'd be great. And thank you so much for having me, Mark. All right, Alex. Thanks. Appreciate it. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.